Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Across the 
receive our evening offering at this time. Will you bow your heads? We have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this evening thanking you for the blessings that you've given us this day, Lord, for the beauty of the earth and all of your glory, Lord, that you've uh, just shown upon us today, Lord, in the, in the form of sunshine, in the form of rain, Lord. We thank you for the breath in our lungs and the ability to sing praises unto you. Thank you for this house of worship that you've given to this church that we may come and uplift your name, Lord. We ask that you would bless these tithes and offerings to further your kingdom, all these things we ask in your son's holy name. Amen. You may be seated. tonight is another night I've stumped the choir not once but twice so I'll probably stump y'all too and you just have to bear with me I'm sorry um, this is a fairly new song across the lands and how many of you have ever heard the hymn abide with me okay all right well, well there's a few of you out there that know it it's a good deal they're gonna come sing in the choir next Sunday. <laughs> they're telling a story oh me it's a beautiful old hymn and that'll be the last song in our set this evening You're the word of God, the Father, from before the world began. Every star and every planet has been fashioned by your hand. All creation holds together by the power of your voice.
Well, whatever happened this evening, y'all didn't get no prettier. <clears throat> I looked in the mirror before I came over, and I did, so y'all didn't do something right. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, being the first 14 verses of Matthew chapter 22 this evening, studying on the royal celebration, on a royal celebration. Now, I just want to say, I had a glimpse at the clipboard. As it stands right now, I'll win. So somebody need to sign up and bring some more ice cream because right now there's no doubt in my mind, mine will be far and away the best. Sorry, Chris, because you were the only other person that signed up. Charles said that he'd bring some that he bought at the store, so I don't think that qualifies. <laughs> so. It disqualifies. You can't buy it at the store. Got to freeze it at the church house. Matthew chapter 22. And this evening we get the opportunity to celebrate together and worship. And we find ourselves discussing an appointment or, or, or better said an invitation to a celebration. And the celebration that we will be discussing is one of a royal matter. It is a, a wedding feast that we will be talking about to be exact. And this is a story that, that is, is, is mentioned, it's alluded to, it's talked about quite often. And, and to be honest with you, I, I don't know exactly why it kept coming back all week long that this is the text we would be in on a Sunday night. It's, it's not your normal Sunday night kind of message, to be honest with you. It's not your normal uh, message that you would prepare to preach to the saints who thought enough of worship to come back on Sunday night and worship. Uh, but for some reason, it just stayed right on the forefront of my mind uh, all week long uh, as I studied. So please stand this evening, if you're able, for the, for the reverence and, and the reading of the Holy Word of God from Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. And again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm and another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed the murderers, and burned up their city. And he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go to the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on the wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. 
The king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot. Take him away. Cast him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the music service, Lord God, for the worship through song, Lord God. We thank you for this morning's worship service, Lord. And God, we pray that you would be with us in the next few minutes as we continue to worship you through the reading and the teaching of your word. God, if there be anything that would distract us or hinder us from worshiping you for the next few minutes, God, would you remove it from the forefront of our hearts and minds? God, if there be anything about to be said in error, God, would you blot it from my mind and mute my mouth? God, that you would be glorified in the next few minutes is our one true prayer in unison. And all of God's people said, Amen, you may be seated. Now, historically, just so we, we know exactly where we are contextually speaking, as we read this, this text in Matthew 22, we find ourselves on Wednesday of Jesus' final week of his earthly ministry. So here we are on Wednesday of the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. On Monday, Jesus would have had what was called the triumphal entry. It's when he rode into town with the palm branches and they sang Hosanna in the highest as he, as he rode the colt into town. On Tuesday... Everybody expected Jesus to return and overthrow the Roman government, but instead, Jesus, when he came back into town, made his way to the temple. And rather than overthrowing Roman government, he overturned the tables in the temple and he cleaned the house of the Lord from the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. So he hadn't overthrown Rome, he had instead overthrown what they had set in place in the temple. And so he goes to Bethany for the evening on Tuesday evening. And on Wednesday, he makes his way back into town. Now, this is where we find ourselves. Jesus on Wednesday has come back into town after he cleaned the temple on Tuesday. He goes back to the temple on Wednesday and he begins to teach to all of the people that are there. And he starts with three parables. This evening, we'll be looking at the final parable. But he starts with the first two parables. And as he teaches... These parables, he begins to talk about the two sons and, and one chose to obey the father and eventually the other deceived the father. And then he talked about the, the wicked vine dressers and that parable. And so he goes through that and the Pharisees' ears now have been piqued to the fact that Jesus is really preaching about them. And so they start to hear Jesus preach. They start to hear Jesus teach. They start to be convicted by what Jesus is doing in the temple that he has cleansed. And rather than respond with repentance, the Pharisees instead have their, their desire to kill Jesus amped up a bit. It's kind of fast forwarded even a little more. How dare he come in here? And teach against me. How dare he come in here and preach against what I'm doing? Friend, is it not easier for us to do that sometimes than to come into the house of the Lord and hear the word of the Lord and have it rub up against the feelings of man? We say, how dare that preacher preach that text? How dare he say that that's what that text means? How dare God illuminate that in my very own life? And the problem that the Pharisees had is kind of the same problem that we tend to have every now and then, if we'd be honest. It's that the devil deceives us into believing that our sin's not a problem. 
That, that's really what happens. And, and so the Pharisees are, are really getting upset at what Jesus is doing. And that kind of brings us to where we're at. We're kind of in the middle of a culmination. Remember, he's just a few days from death. And so here he comes, and he starts to talk about this wedding feast. Now, in verse 1 through 6, we're going to see that this invitation is rejected. That there's an invitation to this great wedding celebration, but that the invitation is rejected. Now, Jesus is speaking in these parables. He's talking about this wedding feast because there's nothing anybody would have enjoyed more in this time than a great big wedding. All right, this would have been a great royal celebration. And so here we are in the middle of this story, and Jesus is using the story, and he says that a king is, is having a wedding for his son. Now, I don't want us to get too sidetracked in all of the, uh, of the, the parable here and miss out. Folks, the, the king is God. The son is Jesus. And God is throwing a royal celebration to celebrate his son. That's, that's really what we're talking about here. And so, so here we have it. But in this day, the wedding feast wouldn't have been as big a, big a deal the way that we see it, right? We see the wedding as a big deal, and everybody prepares for some great deal of time for one big day. Maybe a rehearsal dinner the night before, and then one big day on the day of the wedding, and we think that that's a big deal. But in that time, the, the wedding feast could have went on for a, a minimum of a week. And if it was the king throwing a wedding feast, it may have went on even much longer than that. And so they would bring people in and everybody would celebrate together and, and it would be the, the host's responsibility to make sure there was plenty of food available and plenty of drink available and all of these things would be going on and it wouldn't be till towards the end of this great celebration that the bride and groom would even be joined as man and wife. Everybody would really just be celebrating together. This was no small event. In fact, if a king was throwing this party, people from all the surrounding lands would be coming in to celebrate this royal wedding that was taking place. And so the king sends his servants out. And he says, y'all go out and gather all the guests. Keep in mind in this time, I don't think the Pony Express had been invented yet. So he couldn't write a letter and say, carry this friend. He actually had to send people out to go. And so there would be two invites that would be given in this time to a, to a celebration. You would send your servants out sometime ahead and you would say, it's kind of like a, 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 a save the date, the little magnets that you get now. You know, anybody else ever get one of them from somebody? You get a magnet and it says, save the date, we're getting married. And you look at it and it says 2022 and you think, my goodness, I'm not scheduling that far out. By the time the wedding gets here, I'm going to forget that you sent me this. And this is what, you'd send your servants out and they'd go and they'd say, listen, there's going to be a royal celebration celebrating the, the wedding of the king's son. It's going to be June of next year. And, and you'd get ready, basically, to go in June to this celebration. And so he sends out the first invite, but then the king now is sending out the second invite. This is when the servants would go out and they'd say, hey, y'all come on, it's ready for you. You know, it's June, it's time for you to come. The festivities have been prepared. And so this is kind of what the king is doing right here. He's arranged this marriage, and now he sent out his son, and they're supposed to be bringing all of the guests back. But there's a problem in verse 3. It says that the guests were not willing to come. So the king has invited them to a royal celebration, a royal party, and the guests don't even want to come. 
And so he sends out more servants. Tell those who are invited, I have already prepared the food. The food has been cooked. The celebration is in place. This is not something that's going to happen. It's something that's happening. They need to come, and they need to come now. And when they get the invitation, some of those who reject it are flippant, right? They say, well, I got better things to do. They go to their businesses, they go to their homes, they go to their farms, right? Others are so mad that the king has continued to send servants that they treat them spitefully and even kill them. And this first scene of our parable this morning shows us that there are some that will reject the invitation to the celebration. Now surely you see the pictures that we're drawing here in the Gospel of Matthew already. Church, think of it. There there is, a, there is a celebration in honor of Jesus to be had. There's a wedding supper with the Lamb of God that is going to take place when the bride of Christ goes home and we sit down with our Savior Jesus. This is what's being talked about here. And there is an invitation that has been extended, but surely you recognize that there are those who reject that invitation. There are those who are going to have the gospel presented to them that are going to reject it. And there are those that are going to reject it flippantly, indifferently. They say, well, you know, hey, that's good that that's what you're going to do. But I have no interest in being saved. I've got no interest in this Jesus thing. I'm not even sure I believe in God. And then there are others that are going to get angry as you go and share the gospel. There are those that are going to reject it Perhaps violently. We don't generally run into that in America today. But throughout this world there are those that, that, that have a violent reaction to the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what I want you to notice is this church. The servants are not given a pass to stop going to gather the guests. It doesn't say in these first verses that the servants went out and the guests refused to come. And so the servants were given a pass not to go to those guests anymore. Because that, that would be an easy story, right? Listen, we do what the king commanded us to do. If it didn't work, we're done. But no, he says, I'm going to send more servants. I'm going to keep sending the servants. I'm going to keep sending them out to go and bring the guests back to the royal celebration. And that's where we come into play, church. We are the servants. Of the king who have been commanded to go and share this gospel and bring people back to the royal celebration. Because the second point this evening is this, and this should, this should scare us into evangelism. Those who reject will be punished. Those who reject will be punished. Look at verse 7 and 8 with me. What happens to those who reject? The king hears about it and he was Furious. He sent out his armies and destroyed the murderers and burned up their cities. The king sent servant after servant after servant after servant after servant. And eventually he stopped sending servants and he poured out his 
wrath. Now this is historically signifying to the Jewish people of that time, it would show them, listen, the Old Testament prophets came. I sent you Isaiah. I sent you Jeremiah. I sent you Hosea. I sent you Amos. I've sent all these messengers to you. John the Baptist came before Jesus. Jesus is here now. Peter is going to come. Paul is going to be preaching. All of these are coming. But eventually people I am going to move my message from you and pour my wrath out upon you. That language of burning them up is a suggestion of a complete destruction. Which leads us to ask this question. Why was the king burning them up? Was it because they were murderers? Was it because they weren't good enough? Was it because they were drunkards? They made bad decisions? No, the king was burning them up because they continually rejected the invitation to join in the celebration. See, all the time I hear about, and I know you guys have heard this too, how can you, how can you worship a Jesus? How can you worship a God that will send people to hell to be burned and destroyed? If you worship a God that will send people to hell, he must not be a God of love. I said, boy, you're missing that mark so much. I worship a God that loves so much that when nobody deserved an opportunity to be forgiven of their sins, he sent them a Savior anyway. It's not that God is such a God of fury and hatred that he burns them up and sends them to hell. It's that God is such a God of love that he sent them a Savior that they wouldn't have to go to hell. But he's also a God that is so holy and so just that he cannot look away from sin. All sin must be punished. And those who refuse the invitation to accept Jesus Christ will be destroyed and will be punished. The church, that ought to get your blood pumping to go and tell somebody about Jesus. Just simply knowing that those who die without Jesus will be punished. Most of us have somebody in our own families that we know right now. We know that unless there's some shocker found on their deathbed, if they died tonight, they'd go to hell. And when's the last time you extended the invitation to them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Brother Jason, I've done it over and over and over again. That's okay. The king sends many servants. Keep going. We don't have an excuse to stop because the punishment is coming. It brings us to our third point this evening. There were new guests that were then invited. Verse 9 and 10, we see the king says, listen, those guests that that we originally invited, they... uh, They weren't worthy, and so he says in verse 9, Go into the highways, and as many as you can find, go and invite them to the wedding. Now this would have really stung the Pharisees pretty good. The Pharisees were one of those groups of people who were pretty sure they were the only people that could get right with God. They were pretty sure that everybody else was going to miss out. They were quite excited that they were descendants of Abraham and descendants of Levi, and that was where their royal priesthood came from. And all of a sudden, here's Jesus saying, listen, all that bunch 
that were the children of God that I delivered from Egypt, that were the children of Israel that came along that way, they've rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected, and now the message goes to the Gentiles. And that's what's being talked about here. You have the original message. And that's the reason when Paul goes and preaches, if you look through the the book of Acts and you study the method that that Paul would use when he got into a land, he would go and he would present the message in the temple to the Jewish people. Then he would present the message to the Gentiles as the Jews would reject it. That's the way Barnabas and Timothy and Silas and all of them, that's the pattern that they follow So how does this apply to us today, though? The message is already gone to the Gentiles, Brother Jason. So what does this really mean to us? Well, first thing I think we should see is we should be inviting everyone. We should be inviting everyone to this royal celebration. We are called to go out and fill the hall with those that we invite. And you know what else that we're not supposed to do? We're not supposed to qualify them. It says that the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both what? Good and bad. Both good and bad. Who do we go out and share the gospel with? Everybody. I'm pretty sure that in the house of the Lord tonight, if I were to give a quiz... And I'd say you're either good or you're bad. Everybody would fall into one category or the other. That is an all-encompassing statement to go out and invite all. The ones you think are good, invite them. The ones you think are bad, invite them. Why? Because none of us are good apart from Jesus Christ. So we don't get to quantify that statement. We are to go and invite them all. And you know what I love about this line of thinking? It's the only line of thinking by which I'm fit to go to a royal celebration. I mean, think about that. I don't really qualify to get invited to a feast at the White House. I don't uh, dunk basketballs or throw footballs a million miles. I don't do anything that would cause the President of the United States to extend an invitation to me to go to a feast. I, I certainly don't do anything that would cause the Queen of England to stir up in herself and send an invitation to Rocky Valley to invite me to come to a royal celebration at Buckingham Palace. No part of me is qualified for that, yet my Bible says that I am qualified to go to a royal celebration of much more importance with a guest to be honored who is of much more importance that matters so much more than anything I could do on this earth. And that's the wedding supper with the Lamb of God. And I am perfectly qualified to do that by simply recognizing that I am perfectly unqualified to do anything. Now that's pretty good. Think of that. What other celebration can you get into just by recognizing you don't deserve to get in? That's pretty good, I think. It means it doesn't matter what you've done. You still qualify to go. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we bring this 
we bring this ship down to a close this evening. We have a fourth point. I tricked you. You thought the third point was it. Y'all heard me say third point. Y'all heard me wrap that up. You said, oh, good. We're fixing to go. I said, nope, tonight I got a four-point sermon. Verses 11 through 13 show us something. We see that the king looks out across the feast and he sees a man that did not have on the proper garment. And he says to him, friend, how did you get in here without the proper wedding garment? And he has him bound and thrown out into the outer darkness. Now that sounds cruel, doesn't it? The king threw him out because he didn't come to the feast in the proper garment. But in this time, the host would provide the garment for all of the guests. So when you came to the royal celebration, it didn't matter what you wore or how long you had traveled or where you'd come from or what your status was there, whether you're a peasant or a pauper or a prince, when you got there, there was a wedding garment that was given to you to wear to the wedding feast. And you had access to that garment. And if you refused to put on that garment, what you were saying to the host is that I don't even respect you enough to put on the garment that you have provided for me. And you wouldn't be allowed to crash the party. You're not allowed to stay at that party. Why? Because the host set the standard for what everybody inside was going to be wearing. And oh my goodness, how does this ideal relate to us today? How true is that when you think about what we're saying? There will be so many that reach that judgment. That reach that judgment and cry out of all of these things that they have put on. And all of these things that they have done that they think allows them to be qualified to go to this feast. They'll say, Lord, Lord, look at what I did. Lord, Lord, look at where I went. Lord, Lord, I taught the Sunday school class. Lord, Lord, I, I, I ran the, the PowerPoint presentation. Lord, Lord, I, I went to, to WMU every time they had it. Lord, Lord, I headed up the WMU. God, I was the music minister at the Rocky Valley Church. Lord, I was the deacon at the Rocky Valley. I was the pastor at the Rocky Valley Church. And you know what the, the, the Lord is going to look, the king is going to say, but what robe of righteousness do you have on? Because none of that qualifies you I need to see Jesus when I look at you because that's the only righteous robe that you can put on all that other stuff you did if you don't have the robe of Jesus on it's all filthy rags it's not the problem that you have rags on the problem is that proper clothing was provided and you refused it and tried to make the feast your own. Because that's what you're doing if you don't accept Jesus. You're trying to make this celebration in honor of Jesus about you. And unfortunately for you, this is one chance you don't have to make it about you. Those with the attitude that they can do what they want, when they want, how they want, 
and still get there are going to be met with the truth that one day there will be a judgment and those who are not clothed in the robe of Jesus will be found unworthy to join in the royal celebration. Brother Jason, you mean that, that what you're saying here is the one who went to church his whole life but never accepted Jesus but did good things his whole life is going to be bound and thrown out the same as the serial killer? Yes. Because it's not the murder and it's not the good deeds. It's the rejection of the Savior that earned them the ticket away. And so where does that leave us? It leaves us with this truth. There are only two types of people in this world. Those that have the right garment on and those that don't. Those that are wearing the robe of righteousness that Jesus Christ provides and those that don't. And quite honestly, the fact that there is punishment awaiting those that don't should move us to our knees in prayer that God would give us opportunities to share his gospel with somebody each and every day. And so I'm going to ask you, I think that's why the Sunday night bunch is who got this message. I thought, why, God? Why? He said, it's because there's a lost and dying world, and this group right here is the group that's most likely to go and compel them to come into my house. So I'm going to challenge you tonight when we're going to do the invitation a little different. Y'all are going to stay seated. And Brother Jason's going to sing the first verse. And in that first verse, I'm going to ask everybody in here to pray for somebody. If you need to come to the altar and pray, I want you to come to the altar and pray. If you need to pray where you're at, I want you to pray where you're at. I want you to do whatever God leads you to do. If you want to come pray with me, you've got something going on in your life or, or, or in this, you realize that, that you've never really been saved. You've, you've put on a lot of good deeds, but you've never put on the robe of Christ. Please come. I'm available to pray with you. I want to pray with you. But I want every head bowed and every eye closed right now. And I'm going to ask you to pray for somebody that you know is lost. Somebody that you know is lost. We're just going to spend one verse doing that. Surely we can spend one verse praying for a lost soul under the knowledge that that person is apart from Jesus that doesn't have the robe of righteousness and they will be punished with an eternity in hell for that transgression. We're going to spend one verse praying together. Then we're going to stand up. We're going to worship with a verse in song. But I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray now. Would you sing a verse, brother? Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.